Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today, I have Alex Mandel Dalal with me. Alex is a writer and comedian. And in the world of comedy, it's Alex spelt with a double A, which I love. That's really fun. So Alex, let's start there. When and why did you decide on the double A? Hi. Um, yes, yeah, so the, the double A came for quite a few reasons. Um, firstly, it's, it's how my dad says my name. My dad's uh, from Iraq. Um, and the way that he says my name is pronounced Alex. Uh, and growing up, it was an ongoing joke with my friends that um, whenever he called the home phone, um, whenever they called the home phone and he answered, he was like, Alex, <laughs> and trying to get my attention in the house because that's how old I am. I had a home phone. Um, and then um, when I was developing um, everything, like when I was uh, writing more and then when I was um, finding myself doing a lot more comedy on bills, I noticed there's always a lot of Alex's. Um, so to kind of differentiate myself, I've called myself, I've yeah, given myself two A's. Um, and then also that puts me higher up in searches as well. And that's totally transparent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's smart. I love it. And mm -hmm. Alex, I know you through watching your solo comedy show, Let She Be. Uh, which is, is a super interesting show that we're going to really dig into. But before we dive into that, is there anything else that people should know about you and your connections to creating comedy? Um, so I think in, in terms of things that people should know, they should they should come to see me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I'm performing. Um, I perform a lot. Um, and then most of my material is personal development based. Um, because that's what I feel like I know a lot about. Um, and then most of my shows are in relation to, um, subjects and things like reflections that I've had, um, based on that. Uh, I think that's super interesting that, um, I really took that away from your show, Let She Be, the sort of all the themes that are linked to self-development. And I know it's such a keen interest of yours. And I know that's also that the self-development started before your interest in comedy. So I'm really curious, how did you get from that exploration into comedy? Because that interest could have gone in many different directions. So why, why was it comedy that became the root? Uh, so I think it, I, if I were to go back, it's, I go into lockdown. Hmm. Um, in, in lockdown, I did a lot of, well, I got put on furlough from the job I was in. I was working hospitality. Um, I got put on furlough and, um, suddenly had all of this, I inherited all of this time. Um, and that was my opportunity to just kind of be like, who am I? And um, what's going on? Cause I think at that point I was a bit lost in my career and what I was doing. Um, so weirdly it was, um, it's hard to say, but like to refer to it as a blessing in disguise, but that's what it, like the inherited time was like a gift. Um, and in that time, I, um, looked at myself, my values, things that I cared about, my passions, and, um, everything kind of pointed to comedy. Um, I dabbled before, uh, and then I just kind of assessed everything in my life. Uh, and then it just kept on going back to comedy. So if it was to be anything to do with like my values or anything like that, or, um, I was able to connect everything to comedy because it's, it can be so reflective. Um, mm. and you have to be, um, so self aware. And it's like an, it's, I realized then that it was just like, it was a gift that would just kind of keep giving without sounding incredibly cheesy, which I do. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think that's cheesy at all. And 
when you say that comedy for you is that space of being able to be um, self-reflective, what does that look like for you? Because for example, um, there may be lots of people who are interested in self-development who journal or who keep a diary or um, who kind of ask themselves different reflective questions, but that doesn't then get you to comedy. So how did you, that's like a, a such an interesting starting point, but what do you think it was that for you that meant that then you are in the place where you're at now, where, you know, you do live spot, spots of five and 10 minute material. You have this like fully developed narrative show that you've already taken to Edinburgh. What do you think are some of those steps craft-wise that get you from that sort of introspection to something that you can then share? I know that's a really big question, so you can come at it from any way you want to. I'll probably uh, 100% go on a tangent as go well and then I'll ask you yeah, the question again. I love a tangent. Um, because that's the way my brain works. Um, I don't think that, I mean, everyone will come to different conclusions when self-reflecting, but the, you, it has to be, uh, you have to be totally honest with yourself. And I think that because I had so much time to think in lockdown, I was just, there was a lot of, there was so much, who am I moment. There were so many of those moments. Um, it just kept on going back to me realizing that I was constantly thinking like, what do I keep doing? What is something that I do in every situation? And it was always like trying to make people laugh. Mm. Um, most of the time, well, at that point I was in a corporate job as well. And I was like, what made that job in, in what made me enjoy the job the most was when I was in like a, found myself in like a boardroom with, uh, people that were all doing serious business things and just cracking jokes to them. Mm. Um, and then I was like, oh, there's something in that. Um, and then that is what made me like kept like that's what kept me go making me want to go back to comedy yeah um I, this is the moment that I'm going to ask you <laughs> the question again yeah no it was it was a big question so I was wondering really basically like what, what are some of the steps that mean that you can go from that sort of quite private introspective um, process of, for example, if it is journaling or being self-reflective to being able to literally stand up on a stage and share it, which is super scary. Like what, what does that process look like for you to be able to make it something that's then externalized? Um, so yeah, the, the process is, I think everyone's got their own process and the way that they process moments that happen in their life. Um, but now with comedy, what I do do is I write notes. Like if something, if something, even if it's, it doesn't have to necessarily be funny, but something significant happens in my life, I'll usually keep going back to it. Mm. Um, the notes come when I, actually the notes probably mostly come when um, I notice, I observe something that's quite funny and I take a note of it and then I'll go back to it later. Um, but in terms of um, my life, usually when big things happen, I will intend to now, I intend to write about them, um, but I have to process them first. Mm. Um, that's something that I learned when writing Let She Be originally. So uh, Let She Be was an idea for a show that I just want in lockdown, I just wanted to make a show. I was like, that's going to be my goal. I want to be a comedian and I want to create a show. I want to take it to Edinburgh. And I was like, that was the only idea. Mm. There was no premise. There was no, um, and then the only premise that came to mind was girl living alone in lockdown. Cause I did live alone, uh, girl, live alo girl living alone in lockdown that slowly loses her mind. <laughs> like 
And it was just like, I went on my, on my own personal journey because I had so much time alone. I didn't, I don't think I emphasized like, um, before that I lived alone. So there was, um, most people had like time to self reflect, but with a partner or a flatmate or a, a, a family member. But I really did have just a lot of time on my own. Um, and so it actually ended up in me having, um, what I call, um, on reflection, a lockdown breakdown. Um, which happened one night when we were eat, when lockdown was easy and a friend came over and I just had like this outburst of emotions and, um, really like kind of big, I don't know, I call it a big cry. Um, or it, it just really does depend on the way that you look at the situation, but that's what, um, the show is about because the moment happened. Um, I didn't think anything of it. I was developing a show. I didn't know what that show was. Uh, six months later, uh, I listened back to, uh, at the time of it happening, what I need to emphasize is that I recorded it. Um, and that was very much a personal development thing. Um, because in that moment, it felt like my truth. Uh, so I thought that recording it was the way to, uh, kind of reflect on it and understand it better at a later stage. Um, and then when I did listen back to it six months later, um, I realized I had had time to kind of heal. And then I realized at that moment, uh, that it wasn't as serious and like really, really like personal and hurt. like it wasn't, there wasn't so much pain in there. Instead, I thought there was a lot of humor in it. And that goes back to, I guess, what I was saying before, whereas the kind of humor in everything I'm doing, even when I'm having a little breakdown. Yeah. So that was, that was the process for that. But, um, it took six months to listen back to it. Then I did a, um, the mad thing was like, so I had listened back to it in, in July and then booked in to get a group of people into a room when we could in August, I think 2021, um, which was what I call the work in progress, which at that point I didn't even know what work in progress was. I thought you just performed a show and that was it. Um, which is so naive. Um, but I really did think that. And then, um, yeah, so the work in progress was chaos and it was me just playing that recording out to an audience full of, uh, a combination of strangers who just wanted to be out. Um, and that I, who were friends of friends and my friends and my members at my job, um, because I work front of house at a co-working space. So I invited a lot, which, a lot of my members which was a very bold move considering mm. the nature of the show and what I was doing so that was um my way of making a step in a time that I couldn't actually everything was so limited in terms of performing stand-up I took kind of matters into my own hands and just put on my own show in a it was actually essentially just an empty room and I made it into um used a light in there as a, a as, as a light for a stage and then um, we just arranged the chairs so it looked like it was meant to be a, a venue for comedy when really it was just an event space that was at that moment like hardly used at all because we couldn't have any events. Long-winded answer, but maybe answering your question, hopefully. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that was a bold move, which I love. <laughs> and I have so many questions about that event because I still think it's it's just an incredible leap, which I love, like this leap of courage, leap of boldness, leap of faith to go and make that show and share it in that way. What do you, if you're thinking about the, like you said that you liked cracking jokes um, when you were in the, the conference room and... Um, I'm curious about like 
where that impulse comes from, whether it's like breaking the tension or play, bringing a different energy, like what that is and what the impetus was also to actually share your show and not keep it as something that's private. What made you really want to do that? And are they the same thing? So kind of multi-layered question, like what what do you think it was that was making the Alex in the conference room want to crack those jokes? And what do you think it was that made the Alex want to share like what could be very private material with strangers and coworkers? I think that it's, it's two separate, well, it's two separate things, but it's also the same. So okay. the cracking yeah. jokes... Yeah, I, I, yeah. So to the, the, the cracking jokes in, um, in the conference situation, that would usually happen when I felt, uh, maybe socially uncomfortable or, um, just generally uncomfortable, like I was in the wrong place. What, cause, um, what my default would be to make me feel like I'm in the right place would be to crack a joke. Because then I'm suddenly like, oh, they're laughing, therefore they're at ease and I'm at ease because they're laughing Mm. in that situation. I don't know um, if that's clear, but yeah, I think that's what I have always tried to do uh, or always ended up doing in some way, shape or form. Even if it's like being told to create a formal form for something and then putting like a weird pun in it. (laughs) Um, Just because like no one, well, a sign um like if you're like oh can you tell people to wash up their dishes it's mm. like oh let's put a pun in it let's make it let's make it silly That's great. let's personify the sink you know <laughs> <laughs> um and then the other half of the question uh was so the the listening back to okay so the, the lockdown breakdown is how i cho- how i've chosen to refer to it yeah. um and the the decision to play it out to an to an audience um or several audiences um was when I was just like, that is my truth. There's no, there is no other, it was like the rawest form of me. Like I'm not high, like in, in the moment when it happened, it was me and one friend in the room. And like, I have edited it. You're not going to just going to get, there's a lot of tears. Um, so it's not just like the whole thing. Um, and it just felt like, yeah, the only thing that I could do in that moment. And I think, before that I had told people that um it had happened and that I had recorded it um and they were like that's a mad thing to do and I was like yeah it, it was I guess but then um the the choice to actually um play it out only came I think I set the goal of getting everyone into a room beforehand and then when I um so getting everyone in for the work in progress beforehand and then I I had it booked in and, I, and then I listened to the recording and I was like oh my gosh I've got to I've got to do this. Um, I've got to play this out because <laughs> even if it didn't become the show, that moment in that room would have been really significant for me because I think I would have pushed my boundaries. Mm. Um, and I think everything was a fair bit easier after that um, because I did that. Um, and also bear in mind the timescale because it was in like lockdown. And I really, I remember that room because everyone just wanted to be entertained mm. because we'd all been locked up for so long. Yeah. And this is not an easy question, but what do you, what kind of craft do you think you're bringing to it or sort of energy or structure do you think you're bringing to it to set the context for it being something that is entertaining as opposed to say something that is um, intrusive or just painful? Like what, what kind of things do you think um, you're doing as a comedian? Because I've seen your show and I can definitely see that you're 
making it easy for us to laugh in a way that if we didn't have any context or we didn't have you like facilitating it it could just be painful like how how do you think you act as a bridge on stage to let us know that it's okay to laugh and to point us in the direction of the funny um I can I think a really good way of uh, explaining how I think I've done this yeah or um how I try to do that um is from a huge mistake that I made in one of the uh, work in progresses that I did so after after the I would say that the first one uh the first work in progress was a success even because it was so raw and it was just it had to be live it had to be like reactive and then I did another work in progress uh shortly after that maybe a cup a month or two after that and I didn't give the audience I don't know what I did and I recorded it but even looking back it's just I communicated I didn't really communicate what was about to happen most importantly I didn't give the audience permission to laugh it felt like when I before I played it out I just didn't set it up properly so what that was was me playing my my breakdown to a room full of people but not setting it up so therefore a load of people feeling incredibly uncomfortable and in like many ways triggered and I people still talk to me that came to that show about that show it was just like wow that was that was a lot <laughs> and it was it really was because it was just like and it was like giving people permission to laugh is um something that I'll emphasize but it's not necessarily being like hello audience I give you permission to laugh mm-hmm. it's it's saying like this happened to me this is my personal experience I've reflected on it um and I've chosen to play this out um for essentially uh, the audience's comic relief like or because mm-hmm. um but it's uh I think that I'm th- the advantage that I feel that I'm at is like the self-reflection and all that work that I that I have tried to do and the things that I've learned to hopefully be able to communicate that to an audience so that they can maybe reflect on their um well I, I think the way that I referred to it when writing the show description was give uh, audiences a sense of relief for their wobblies mm. hopefully and that's very ambitious um because um especially when talking about mental health um it, mental health is incredibly important to me and um but something that I am able to talk about so like if I'm processing something or something's happening to me in that moment um I will be quite honest and talk to people about it um and that's not something that people can always do uh and that's not to say like I, I not to the point where it makes people uncomfortable but like I think that I I'm able to do that so if I'm able to do that um to strangers and to people on stage hopefully and in, in so, I hope that that will give them permission to feel like they can talk about something that maybe felt felt like they couldn't talk about before if that makes sense yeah totally and for people that haven't seen your show I think it might be helpful to give um an example of something um, within the tape that that you were able to find funny in hindsight that at the time. So is there an example? I don't mean like having to give an exact line or anything, but is there something that mm. you could share about at the time it felt potentially one way, but then looking back and playing the tape, you're able to frame it a different way for us that we could be like, oh, it's quite funny that I did or said this or had this take. What would be an example of that? Um like I said, the uh, the thing about the the, the tape or the, the recording of it um, is it's it was super random. Like the things that went through my mind in that moment, there was just like it was very uh, surreal. In that, like I would be talking about one thing one minute, and then I'd start talking like analyzing the game of football the next. 
um, cause I was not, <laughs> cause I was in a crazy headspace. And there is one point where I was in, um, I was specifically talking about, um, I, I think I was, I was specifically talking about one thing and I was, I was leaning into that thing and I was really getting upset about that one thing and lean and just getting very upset and talking about it. And then I hear a dog barking in the background, which really happened. Um, and then I just start, and then because my brain is in like intense crying, everything is upsetting me mode. I then started, um, talking about how much I want a dog, yeah. how sad I was that I didn't have a, jo- a dog, yeah. how I couldn't have a dog because I didn't have a partner, but I really want, but I really wanted a dog, but I can't. And then I just kept going. Then it was just me just crying my eyes out about how I really wanted a dog. Right. Um, and then so, um, that was like a specific moment in it. I think, wait, I've, I lost track of the question. I do that a lot. I'm very sorry. No, it, no, it totally <laughs> makes sense. So, cause I was asking about what would be an example that would show how you can, um, like put your finger on why, like how you reframe it for as something that's funny. And like you say, I think there is something in that randomness, that undercutting that you were really deep into one thing. And then like how our brains can work sometimes under pressure. It's almost like, oh, squirrel, there's a dog. Oh, oh, and yeah, here's yeah. all the reasons why the dog. And now we're talking about the dog. Let's talk about the partner too. And that's like that pylon that is um, like at the time so painful. Like when we like zoom out on it, it does seem like quite a funny random pattern that the brain is capable to be so intensely focused and passionate about something else and then do a complete like 90 degrees and be somewhere else. So I think um, yeah. maybe in seeing those sort of random patterns as well, there could be some some real fun in that. Yeah, um, but the honestly, the, the most incredible thing, the most powerful thing about the whole experience of doing this, and I'm now, I'm taking it to Edinburgh again um, this year, but uh, in a different format, um, with a different name as well. It's just, it's still talking about this, uh, the, still working around the specific recording, but I'm at a different point in my life now where, um, I'm reflecting on it, which is, um, something I'll talk about in a second. But what I have found, um, the most powerful thing, as I, I was saying, um, is the conversations that I've had with audience members afterwards, mm. um, where they've been like, I can just totally relate or they've said just like, you've just like, you've really spoken to me or like that exact thing happened to me in lockdown. I get that all the time. Mm. Like I had this moment with um, this thing and you, you literally like, I, um, you, I, I've, I feel seen as what a lot of people have said. And I was like, I'm so glad because I, in that moment you do feel incredibly alone. Like Mm. when something like that is happening to you um, and that's pretty incredible. Um, And then, so that's, yeah, another reason that I'm, doing it but like that's come from sharing it yeah there's so many things I want to ask you about there the the first one though is that you mentioned um that you've already taken it to Edinburgh and you mentioned that the show um you're still continuing to work on it and I'm curious about the title change as well I wanted to ask you what the about the original title so let's start with the title first and what made you pick the original title and um do you know what the new title is going to be or are you testing out possibilities I've got both. Um, okay. So the, the the simple answer to that question is one made sense and one did not. Okay. Um, so the original title is called Let She Be. Um, so and Let She Be uh, was an amalgamation of sayings because I tend to get things mixed up in my head. Hmm. So leave her be, let it happen and let it be. Um, and then, but she isn't in there. Hmm. Uh, so, which is crazy. Uh, so it's just like it doesn't quite make sense but explaining that at the beginning of the show actually became a huge part of the show Mm. um I think when I was doing the application 
Um, and like when I was trying to think about what the title of the show would be, um, it, like, it made you think like, what's, I was thinking about various different things, like, um, a combination of like, what is the show and how do I sell it? Um, but I don't think I did either of those things with the original title, but I think that's funny in itself because that has life that happens that you're not going to do your first show isn't going to be exactly what you want it to be but um you would hope for a title that makes sense hence why um the next the next title is called break it down mm. um yeah so that's what i've called it because it's so simple um it's my name alex mandel de Lau, break break it down and then um I'm, there'll be friends at the show as well so it's break it down with friends um and then that's also very much what happens in the show as well so very simple um and that was it like i I tend to overcomplicate things in my head, hence the, sh- the title that she be. So, uh, the break it down really does, like, it does what it says on the tin. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. And why else do you think you're so interested in continuing, um, to work on this show? And the, the context that I asked that in is that sometimes, and from talking to other people who are creating shows, it can seem like, once you've taken a show to Edinburgh, there's some kind of weird unspoken thing that that's supposed to be the one time. Or once you've performed a show for this amount of time, I don't know, maybe sometimes people actually get bored of performing it and want to leave it. But other times there's the pressure that it should be a new show. So what do you think is your thinking? Because I think it's super interesting and really relevant. What's your thinking behind wanting to continue to develop it and take it back? So I think there's always so much advice that's shared as to like what to do and you have to be very careful in who you speak to and what feels authentic to you. Um, I felt like I was determined to get there last year, um, but that the show wasn't what I, where I wanted it to be for what it could be based on, um, based on the, the subject. And I also, I felt like I wasn't the comedian that I wanted to be yet. And then I realized that there's in, and as I said before, like processing what happened, I'm in a very different stage of my life now. So it actually, there'll be a totally different approach to the same subject. Um, but a lot of people, I mean, you, you are told that you can't, that you shouldn't take a show back or whatever. That was definitely um, something that was said to me on several occasions. But I dis- I decided to, to, I was just like, I'm not done with this. There's another, um, there's more to this. It is my, it's still like my baby in my truth. Um, but what's happened now is like, I am still continuing to write the, the show for Edinburgh, but I'm also developing a new show, um, which will either be my show for Edinburgh next year. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's about something that I'm going through right now. And so if I go back to what I was saying before and like how I process, um, process things in my life and things for um, I'm understanding in the few years that I've been doing comedy now is you process the thing that happens it happens you process it sorry it happens you process it and you have your own like personal moment with it that you don't need to share with anyone and then you decide how to communicate that if you choose to share it um so in that so for me it's like I'm going through something now I will be ready to share that hopefully next summer um, or like by the beginning of next year, because I'm going through it right now. Whereas, um, it was, it took me six months to get, to get to the next point of my life when I felt like I was comfortable to share that recording. I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it before that. I mean, I would have had to, I would have, I had the, the lockdown breakdown in January. I would have had to confirm the Edinburgh show. If I were to do it that year, I would have had to confirm the Edinburgh show 
like February, March. And so can you imagine if I was like just the, the idea of um, going through something like that um, and then and then having to like be like, no, this is going to be my shit. That, that to me is is mental. It's like you've got to have your own process. And for me, the process is not complete. So I am really looking forward to what the new version will be. Um, and I think a lot of other comedians do it. It's just like, whether it's like, if you were to look at like, whether you're debuting or anything like that, like you're good material, like you've got, you write better jokes as time goes on, but you've also still got the other ones that maybe not a lot of people have heard because you're not that well known. Mm. So it's however you choose to do it. There are no official rules. Um, and, and especially with like, um, free fringes and everything, that's your time to play. Like that's when not everybody's watching. And I, the way that I look at it is like, people don't care if I'm doing a show twice. Like they don't, there's no one like, Hey, that comedian Alex, she's doing the same show that she did last year. It's like, no one cares. I don't think that there's anyone out there that thinks that at all. Um, and yeah, so if there, and also if there are people that return from, that came to it last year, um, they will be getting a new show. Um, so yeah, that's the way I've approached it. Yeah, that makes total sense. And do you have any um, like favorite questions that you like to ask people to get the kind of feedback that's helpful to you when you're in this process of developing and redeveloping material? Like when friends or colleagues come and see it, what kinds of questions do you like to ask them afterwards to get good good feedback or good honest answers? So I absolutely love feedback in a really, I don't know if it's a normal way, um, after every work in progress that I did, I gave everyone a feedback form, um, with four questions on it. Um, like it, it was like, they were quite simple questions. It was like, it wasn't like, did you like the show? It was like, what did you enjoy most about the show? Uh, what did you enjoy least about the show? What didn't you understand? And what stood out to you? I think those were the four questions. And I edited that nearly every show. I edited the questions that I had, but they were, it was always around that, um, and then I said, you can be, I said, you can leave your name at the bottom or you can be anonymous. So that was the process for all audiences. I don't know if people do that. And I know that people make notes just based on how people laugh mm. um, in their work in progresses. And that's totally black and white. Um, but my show, I, just think I didn't want it to just be um, just laugh, laugh, laugh. There's more, a little, a little bit more to the narrative um so I didn't I knew that and only recently learned like the lulls mean aren't that people aren't enjoying it it's just like that's the nature of the show uh it's not just a pure stand-up mm. um and then um also every preview I did or every work in progress I did make sure there was one person in the audience that I had said to previously like do you mind giving me notes at the end and then they will choose what notes that they give to me it won't be or if there was something specific in that um, in that, that particular show, I was like, this bit isn't quite right. And I just, most of the time it was down to like, does the narrative make sense? Cause especially after the mistake I made of not giving the audience permission to laugh, it took someone saying the reason that didn't work is because like you were playing us your breakdown, but we didn't know if it was okay to laugh about the things that we found funny in it. And it was like, oh my God, I didn't even see that. And so like, you've got to have your own process, but like, I just like love hear like I will I love hearing like reading through those uh, feedback forms even like it's how that helps me see interpretation as well because everything that you do like everything that you say on stage can be interpreted in loads of different ways based on that the audience member's perspective on the subject that you're speaking about and that's super interesting in itself 
That's brilliant. I love that. And I haven't actually heard of anyone else doing that, but that's awesome. <laughs> what a great process. And so I, I can share the document <laughs> <once you're laughs> if anyone wants it. Yeah, yeah. it's a great idea. Yeah. Because I was also going to ask you, and I can see how that feedback might help, but I still want to ask anyway, in terms of how you calibrate it, is how you like really judge for yourself whether you're making a show like better in inverted commas or just different and I'm asking that from the point of view of someone who like I'm I'm working on fiction writing novels and there'll be times where I'm trying to incorporate feedback that I've had from someone and before I send it back I might be doing multiple versions and I'll have the same scene labeled A, B, C, D, E, F. And that gets to a point where I'm like, I don't know if this is better or just different at this point until I send it back. Is there a way that you calibrate for yourself as you're developing this show and this material as to whether it feels like it's moving in the direction you want or if it's just a different version? That's not an easy question. So I'm selfishly asking it to help myself get better at it. No, it's a a great question though, um, because... That I, I don't know if you find, but there's always a moment in, or I found there were several moments in the process where I'm like, have I totally lost what I was originally doing? Mm. Cause I, I, and, and then you're just like, oh, wait a minute. Like, and then I, I always found myself having to go back to, um, re- referring to one question, um, like the reason that I'm doing it or, um, what is the character of me in the, this case or like the character in the fiction? Like, what are they? What are they setting out to get? What is their, what are they aiming for? Um, because there always has to be a character and, um, they're usually like working towards something. Otherwise nothing happens. Uh, so I'm constantly trying to go back to that question, especially because my brain will always go a million different ways. And I think there was even one point in my process, in the process of writing the show where I got totally lost and I ended up, um, asking around asking friends and like comedy friends and if they knew of anyone that could just look at the show from an outsider's perspective never seen it before look at recording of it and give notes because I just needed someone that didn't know me and that I um that had worked doing something like that before um just to have a look at it so I wasn't totally losing my mind so like in that sense like almost like an outsider's perspective in this case it was someone that had worked with comedy before but sometimes the outsider's perspective might even make you say, oh, well, that's their perspective on it. And I don't agree with that. But actually, that's made me realize that this is the direction that I wanted it to go in to begin with. Um, that's yeah, definitely what I found my process to be so far. Yeah, that makes total sense. And um, you use the word character. And I'm curious, because I would say I use that in fiction, because it's really clearly a character, though, is it really? Or how much of us is it ourselves in there just dressed up in a different form? But where it's with you, where you do, you are, is literally you on stage, and then you have the like literal tape of you. Do you think of the you that's on stage, not the tape, as being a character, a persona version of Alex? Because you've also mentioned like truth so many times. But does it need to be because I don't have that stand-up experience do you think about shaping it as a persona or character or or does it just feel like you the same as it would be um if you were in that corporate room or with a friend um there is so there is me on stage as a a version of me it's it's, as an exaggerated version of me um and I love that because she usually says what I want to say and that's maybe (laughs) into like in within so certain situations isn't okay to say yeah um uh, so there's like le- way less censorship, which is so much more fun mm. than um, the normal everyday um, having to work in an office, Alex. 
Um, uh, and then, um, oh yeah, and then the recording. So I think that there's still like, um, there is like, there isn't a very thin line with like self-preservation. Mm. Um, but you have to, as a performer, I think it's really important that you know that. Um, so if I had played that recording too soon, I would have felt that in my heart. Like, I think I would have just been like, oh no, I've made a, I've made a really bad decision here because my, br- like, it hurts to mm. play this out to an audience full of people that are laughing. Um, and I have learned, well, I learned that through m- mistakes and, um, definitely, uh, try, like, things happening in my life. Um, bringing it onto stage, doing like, um, a new material night and being like, this is my joke about the person that broke my heart recently. And then no one laughing and you being like, Oh, I'm just airing my pain on stage and it was not ready. Mm. <laughs> That's definitely happened. So like, it's, yeah, you've just kind of got to know your lines and like who the character is. Um, and that was, I'm sorry, my phone just buzzed off because I didn't put it on an airplane mode. No worries. No worries. But that's actually the, that was the, the last thing that I wanted to ask you about before we move on to advice is that I know that you do do, um, you know, you, you do do new material and jokes in those shorter formats as well at those kind of live nights. You've mentioned, um, when we had a brief chat before about doing like those five minute spots, what is different for you, um, in how you think about like what material you take to those uh, occasions versus what you'll take to something where you do have that whole scope of like the comedy hour narrative what's different for you in your comedy do you think so there is like an element of freedom that you have in those five minutes um because I guess it's lower stakes like you haven't got like worked really hard to get all of those people into a room to listen to you for 45 minutes to an hour like you haven't got their attention for very long so in that time you have to de- or decide as a performer. There have been times when I, I, I've gone on and I've just done pure, like purely new stuff. Um, but even actually, to be fair, even when I've done that, I've still um, opened with a line that I almost, it's like, I know that it's going to get a laugh. So that was the way that I um, chose to do it that time. But I also learned from that those moments because I was just like, well, maybe I'll do stuff that I know that works um, mixed with some new stuff but what I have always struggled to do and still um to this day have not done is been able to to um to play out the recording in a a five minute set not Mm. even a 10 minute set because and especially with like a room full of people that or like an audience that I don't know or um sorry like I don't always necessarily know my whole audience but um I just don't know what type of audience I'm going to get that night and it and um you've got to really like carefully I had to quite carefully plan like when I was doing um new material specifically for the show um and then I think that but that's also a very different way of doing it because I think most comedians when they're working on their initial especially like pure stand-up when you're working your first um 45 or how a half an half hour show like however whatever format you're choosing to do your um in like first Edinburgh's or whatever festivals you're doing it's usually like a build up of your five minutes, five mm. on five on five, and then you've got your 30, you know. But f- from my side, it was like m- most of the show is me talking to the audience through a recording that I can't then play to o- audiences because the vibe would be can you, like just the idea of like doing like, um, there are shows like gong shows. Mm. Um, uh, so the gong show format is you have five minutes, sometimes two minutes leeway. 
Um, but within those five minutes, the audience, like five people nominated in the audience that represent the whole of the audience, have the ability to gong you off stage. Mm. And I always thought, like, it. can you imagine if I was just like, <laughs> hi, I'm Alex, this is my breakdown, and then just see what happens. So that would have been like the boldest move in the world. And it did go through my mind at one point. And I was like, no, no, there's the self-preservation thing again, because you've got to, there's the line. There it is. Yeah, yeah. So it's like... um working out when the right when the right and but there were some really nice new material nights where I knew I could try I could try certain jokes that were definitely for the show um and well and then but then it's also then the rest of it was like adding like stand up into other sets that were setting me up as a character differently mm. um but then using it in the other show but then like, it's just how you develop the show is up to you in terms of like what works best for you because for me like I love trying new stuff all the time I'm not like try you know that one joke works keep keep doing that one joke because I get I get very bored of my material very quickly which is definitely much to my own detriment um but it really is everyone's got their own process so yeah yeah. that's super helpful and thank you you've been so generous giving us such a lovely sense of your process today and I think it's so useful to hear those different processes and we all have such different brains and ways of looking at the world and it's great to kind of hear what those are and like what's really working for you and you being so bold in finding out what's working for you and making mistakes and failing and then getting back up and trying again which is like absolutely inevitable for anyone who's brave enough and wants to do comedy it's the only way through so I love that but you've also got this really personal route through which is awesome so thank you for sharing that so generously um I'd love to just always think about the the, sorry I always just think about the, the the thin line between bold and mad oh. <laughs> do you think in line it's just you've got to figure out what side you're on yeah, yeah. <laughs> claim the bold as much as possible I reckon yeah 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 that's yeah, awesome yeah. <laughs> and um so I've just got a couple of questions before we wrap up and one is I'd, I'd love I'm just super curious what you enjoy comedy wise whether there's any shows that you love to watch or things that you love to read or different stand-ups like what's to your taste what do you enjoy um always love a biography I want to know someone's story Mm. like how they got to where they are now um and um so I'm like with stand-up I I especially like love that I mean there's usually always a story running through it Mm. but I like the bigger questions um like when someone's life significantly changed Mm. um a show that I mean just to go back to a, a show that I loved where someone like really not necessarily doing that but then they really um challenged themselves was um Alex Edelman just for us um that that. was an amazing show Mm -hmm. he was he's actually um I think it's still touring now and it was at Edinburgh in 2019 um where he um he put himself into oh you know I almost like I don't want to okay um, I've written it down too much of it away but it's like it's just it's a great that was a, a really fantastic show where he pushed his boundaries and then the story of it was the show. Mm. Um, and then I'm trying to think about like what I've seen recently, shows or books I've read. Oh, and actually I'm reading um, at the moment um, Stephen King's On Writing, mm. um, which is I'm sure I'm something that you've read, but um, was actually uh, recommended to me um, by a performer. And it is incredible because it's his story in relation to like it's his journey and his story and how he got into writing and then it goes on to the practical side I think the book split up in such an amazing way 
But like for me, that was, there's a personal story that I love to hear people's personal stories in relation to um, like their superpower, I guess. So mm. like how they got to where they are now and um, reach that next level. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that's, that. that's awesome. Yeah, I think the first time I, I read on writing, I think I came at it really impatiently I think at the time I was like just tell me what to do I just need to know what to do so I can get on and do it <laughs> and it's really not that kind of book and then it was re-recommended to me and I went back to it comparatively recently and listened on audiobook and I loved it it was so brilliantly read and at that pace and the way like you say established the sort of personal story and then like brought in the craft I was I think I was ready for it and I just loved it so yeah I think that's a cool one to break to bring up and I've written down the other one too I'm definitely going to have to check out that show and I'm, I'm really curious to ask you now what you th what your superpower is because I've, I've I've had so many questions but I actually wrote that down as one when you were talking about how your brain works and you're saying that you um feel like you say sometimes you overcomplicate things but that's also another way of saying that you can see many ways that things could go so I'm curious what what you would think your superpower is I think yeah. oh I mean yeah I'm so not... used to, to saying that but I'm like what is mine yeah um I think my when this is actually something that I've I've assessed quite a fair bit recently. I think that my superpower is um, and I hate don't like using this the, the terminology, but it is essentially like I process I, I forget things really easily. Mm. So I'm uh, constantly pro so if I for example if I've seen a show and I didn't uh, even if I enjoyed it I might forget that I've seen that show. And book in to see that show again two years later, mm. like a child, like, and, and it would be like a child that like, I've just literally totally forgotten that I'd seen it. And so it's, um, so I guess my superpower is seeing things. Um, <laughs> so I guess seeing things and not remembering that I've seen them, but then seeing them with like, and the, the reason I say child, it's like, mm. um, with a, uh, almost with a childlike gaze, like I'd never seen it before. Yeah. Um, I don't know, does that make, because like, and that's um, just because I am super forgetful. Like, I think I, I was watching a film the other day and I was like, I don't remember any of this. I think it was Shakespeare in Love, which is so random. Um, and I was like, I don't think I've seen this film. And I got to the end, there was one specific bit and I was like, huh, I, did, I watched this in lockdown and that was, wasn't that long ago and I just couldn't remember it at all. So I guess it's like also kind of a, because of that, a basic bitch mentality because I don't remember half the things that I've done. So I'm going in with like a, um, a kind of naive, like simple way of looking at it because I don't remember half of the things that I've done. Yeah, no, yeah, I can see really how that would be. Power. Yeah, no, I see how that would be really fun <laughs> and for comedy to have that freshness as well. And um, I may be wrong, maybe projecting, but then I would also imagine then the things that really do stick that you keep coming back to as well. Um, must take on like even greater significance but I think how lovely yeah, to that's, that's true. have that like fresh way of saying things because and I think I really enjoyed that about your show too um is that um it's not cynical um and it and it it and I think some I mean obviously there's so many different kinds of comedy but I loved that it, it had this kind of, it did have like a fresh, generous energy to it. It didn't have the, the sort of jaded cynicism that some comics use as a defense. And like you say, we need to protect, but there's all different ways of kind of protecting. So that's lovely. Um, 
think that's a super cool Next year superpower. I'll forget that. Yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll, I've forgotten that, so I'll just do that all the way. I'll have again. you back on in so, a year and test you, and <laughs> be like Alex. So it'll be like one of those quiz shows where I'm like, "Tell me, what was your superpower? What did you say?" <laughs> awesome. And the last, I honestly will not remember. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I won't remember what happened at the beginning of this. <laughs> no problem. Here, so. That's the good thing with a podcast is you can listen back, so it's all good. And um, last question for you is um, just whether there is any advice that you've been given that you found useful, whether it's from things that you've read, like your biographies or whether it's from other comics or friends or even just that you figured out yourself. Um, oh, there was like in, um, on writing, there were so many things like yeah. pages that I folded, mm. um, to remember things. Um, but there was, uh, one amazing thing that has always stuck with me was, um, not uh, even comedy related, I guess, a Jill Scott, who is uh, a singer. Um, she was interviewed before, uh, going, before going on stage, um, after Erica Badu. Mm. Um, and then I think an interviewer asked, like, are you, are you scared about going on stage after Erica Badu? And she said something along the lines of this. I can't quote the exact quote, but it's such an amazing quote. It's, um, we all have, um, our own, uh, sense of like queendom, our own uniqueness, mm. our own thing. And mine can never be compared to hers and hers can never be compared to, to mine. Mine can be, yeah, <laughs> did say that right. Yeah. Um, which is such, I, I go in like, uh, with, with that with everything, especially like when I'm watching other comedians, I'm like, oh my God, they're so good. It's like, but you're going to be good in your own way and something, someone else will have a take on the way that you're doing something. Um, and like that is like, that's kind of like a blinkers on mentality. It's just like, you just have to, um, and that's actually relates to another thing that I, that a bit of advice, which is, um, Sarah Pascoe did this amazing introduction to stand-up um, Instagram thing, which is like an hour long. And her thing was to celebrate your uniqueness. Mm. And like, that is just the only thing that you can do. It's just like, otherwise you would just merge into another um, another person. And you have to like, your, your uniqueness, I think she said otherness as well, which I thought was great. Um, yeah, so those are two amazing pieces of advice that weren't personally given to me, but like that I heard yeah. that really stuck with me. I love those. Yeah, those are are great. I think as creatives, that's just perfect advice. I love it. Thank you, Alex. Um, I'll put these in the show notes, but also just for those that might be out and about listening, where should they go to find out more about you and your work? Um, I I think I've just discovered um what's the name the link tree because mm. that I put everything onto that one where so that's like got right. everything that I'm doing so if I've got any gigs mm. um sometimes I so everything that's happening going on with Edinburgh my previews for that um and any projects that I'm working on and thing will all go on there um I, th- I think that's how it works I'm sure that there's I'm, I'm doing something wrong with how to promote myself or maybe that will I don't know anything about SEO. I'm not going to go into that now. Um, but uh, spelling my name with two A's is, is really important to say because no one can ever find me on the internet because okay. they're like, I can't <laughs> find you. And it's like, oh, because it's both a blessing and a curse spelling your name with two A's. But yeah, so to find me on Instagram or anything like that, it's just, it's spelt with two A's. Wonderful. And obviously <laughs> when I post this um, podcast, you'll be able to find it at comedymasterclass.com. All that links will be there and uh, they will also be filtered through to all the places this podcast shows up where you can listen and watch. So thank you so much for your time today, Alex. It's been so fun talking to you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.